Welcome to a conversation powered by Connected Learning, where we chat with some of today's leading minds about new learning approaches designed for the demands and opportunities of the digital age. Connected Learning values the new ways many young people today access information, gain expertise, and learn alongside peers and mentors using the internet, social networks, and digital technology. We're excited you're here to join the conversation as we seek to make learning relevant. Hi everyone, this is John Barraloni, Community Manager for the Connected Learning Alliance. And today we're talking with Antero Garcia about Connected Learning and specifically his experience with and insights on how Connected Learning relates to teachers and the classroom. Hey Antero. How you doing, John? Doing good. So reading off all of Ontario's affiliations and accomplishments would probably take several minutes. So we'll just hit on a few of the highlights. Uh, Ontario's in the system. I'll wait, actually, John. You can go ahead and list everything. Okay, yeah. All right. We've got plenty of time. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's all right. Ontario's an assistant professor in the English department at Colorado State University. And prior to moving out to Colorado, he was a teacher for several years at a public high school in South Central Los Angeles. And during that time in LA, he was also a teaching ambassador fellow with the U.S. Department of Education. And in addition to all of that, he has recently helped produce an ebook titled Teaching in the Connected Learning Classroom, which is full of really helpful firsthand accounts of innovative educators who are implementing the principles of connected learning already in their day-to-day -day practice. So Ontario, lately there's been a lot of emphasis, I would say, in the K-12 space to have teachers shift their teaching style from traditional, you know, sage on the stage mm -hmm. to being more of a learning facilitator. And in tandem to that, we know from examples of connected learning so far, young people could have connected learning experiences, you know, entirely within their own peer networks. So I wanted to see based on, you know, your own experience and some of those stories that were covered in the ebook, uh, how do teachers you think fit into the connected learning vision? I, honestly, I think I think teachers are the most important um, stakeholders in the connected learning vision in terms of people that need to be adjusting practice and, and thinking about what happens um, when they work with young people, right? Because I think a lot of the research that we tend to look at um, when we when we talk about connected learning is stuff that happens outside of schools, and which is great. Um, the the types of activities that happen in libraries, the types of activities that happen um, for um, extracurricular peer networks, but most of most of the youth in America and most of the youth globally spend the majority of their time in schools, right? And so, if we think about moving from the sage on the stage model, as you mentioned, to um, maybe flipped classroom models or uh, models that that reflect principles of connected learning, um, it really is about challenging what we think teachers do and, and and the expectations of how we prepare teachers today, right? So, my time here in Colorado State is really thinking about what what kinds of vocabulary do we prepare teachers with? What kinds of um, dispositions instead of just tool sets do, do new teachers enter the classroom with? Um, and so just to, to draw on some kind of foundational research in teacher education, um, there's this guy, Dan Lordy from the 70s, who talked about positive identifiers that a lot of people who become teachers or go into education do so because they had really positive experiences when they were students. They had that really cool English teacher who read them The Catcher in the Rye, and they had this engaging conversation that changed their life. And as a result of that, they want to do the same thing. Um, but unfortunately, the world's changing a lot, right? So the positive identifiers of what um, made a classroom experience really powerful for me as a student in the 90s um, is probably going to be fundamentally different from what students may need today in 2014 and looking ahead 
Um, and so as a result, I think it's, it's time for us to, to reevaluate how we prepare teachers uh, in today's connected learning era. And that brings up a really great point. This kind of, you know, general push um, and broader national conversation of bringing education up to speed for the mm -hmm. 21st century, getting education an update for the 21st century. Right. Um, what do you think are some of the specific needs that we've all collectively identified for, you know, why we don't already consider classrooms in the 21st century? And what do you think are some of those challenges when it comes to making that 21st century update happen? So I think the go-to answer that people tend to think about here is technology, right? That we need technology, the challenge is technology is expensive. Um, and I think that's a, I think that's a stupid thing. <laughs> I, <it's> a, <laughs> I, wish I, I wish I said that more eloquently, but it's too late. Um, I, I think we need to take a step back from technology as the assumption of what needs to happen to update classrooms, um, because that's not the case, right? Um, we've had, we've banked on technology as this as this golden egg or the the panacea that's going to fix uh, American education for more than eighty years at this point. Just looking at different types of looking at the history of what's happened with education in the United States, um, and instead, if we if we want to think about what needs to change with education, we need to go back to to some of the assumptions about what our education system is for, right? Mm -hmm. What's the purpose of education in the United States? Is it purely a credentialing system where you give students the social capital of a diploma and then they can use that to gain entree into other kinds of career fields? Um, is it about a functional literacy development where you want students to be able to read and write well enough to build and ne negotiate and participate in civic life? Um, is it about sociocultural literacy development so that students can read and write and kind of develop in more broad ways than just the text on a page that's written in standard American English? Um, or, and this is maybe the, the more frightening aspect, is the purpose of school about this hidden curriculum that ultimately reinforces social inequities, right? Um, do mm -hmm. we send kids to schools across the United States as a way for them to understand um, the differences um, between, between different school communities and the ways they're supposed to interact as citizens in the United States? And so for us to really think about like what needs to change in schools, I think we need to have a, a more honest, a more public conversation about why do we want you know fancy devices in schools? Is it a way of um, passivity? Is it a way of you know controlling what teachers do? Um, and, and I realize that this is this is a political conversation, but I also think it's a necessary political conversation in that way. Um, so unfortunately, John, I feel like I'm I'm just turning the question back on you, but <laughs> but I think that's maybe where we need to maybe where we need to start as a country before we dive into how we invest our, our tax dollars. No, that's a fair point, and I know you were you know pretty up to par on the iPad rollout within the Los mm -hmm. Angeles district. And I know there were a lot of things we all kind of collectively learned from that, you know, both in terms of what to do, but probably more what not to do. And I really appreciated, I think you had, it was a July, 2013 post on the dmlcentral.net blog, where you made the point that sometimes technology and especially just computers in the classroom can actually get in the way of learning. Mm -hmm. So, you know, based on the connected learning vision that really emphasizes leveraging these tools that we have in the digital age, I just wanted to get your take on some of the benefits of leveraging digital media specifically for connected learning experiences. And then a little bit broader, like what are some of the hurdles or obstacles that schools and teachers should be aware of when it comes to ed tech integration? 
So just to draw back, so that blog post was something I, I believe if it's the one I'm thinking of, I collaborated with a, a friend of mine, Thomas Phillip, um, who's a professor at UCLA, and he and I have done some work on using smartphones in classrooms and really looking at some of the challenges that, that arise from that. Um, and so on the one hand, as much as, you know, I, I said, we need to take a step back from technology, there's some real advantages if we think about how we can use it meaningfully. Um, and some of those are obviously that that a digital device, the, the types of things that we carry around in our pockets can act as portals into a larger uh, world that connect us to, um, you know, people all around the country. We can think about those opportunities for bringing guests in. I've, I've been privileged to Skype in some of the authors that my students are reading in our college classes this semester. As a result of Google Hangouts, right? It's very simple to do. Um, maybe even more importantly, though, is that these technologies um, allow us to uh, help foment community um, within the classroom, right? So that mm. not only are we talking to students face to face, but we can have this prolonged engagement over a spring break if they if they wanted. Maybe it's time to get away and, and not do something like that. But it <laughs> at least gives you this opportunity to figure out other ways to socialize um, and, and change the the spaces that we interact in, right? Um, part of I think what is so foundational um, for for learning is having this relational component, right? Building trust. Um, building some some sort of camaraderie that we're moving forward in in a common vision of what we're doing in any given class. Mm -hmm. um, and if technology is a way to support and sustain that, um, then more power to it, right? I think I think the hurdle though um, isn't a cost one. Like I said, most students, um, if they don't have a, a mobile device, they have access to one. Um, I think I think the biggest hurdle is in having teachers um, and students and families think about what's a meaningful use of these devices. I don't think we've necessarily figured this out. Um, you know, at a mile high level, I think teachers are doing this um, in class from classroom to classroom. Um, but we need to figure out a way to sustain teachers to think about um, move from a language of distraction that mobile devices are, you know, problems in the classroom that they go off and, and they just constantly disrupt things. Mm -hmm. to thinking about the possibilities of what they can do in terms of transforming, revolutionizing classroom spaces. Um, again, I think this means that we don't put all our eggs in the basket of technology. But I think it means that when we do use it, we use it in a meaningful way that that's always kind of looking forward towards what's the end goal for our students here. I guess that's the that's the hurdle I'm thinking about. Yeah, and that's an excellent point. And I know in a couple places in um, what you were just talking about there, you kind of talk about this idea of trying to connect um, student school learning to their lives outside of it. And I know I definitely want to touch on uh, some of your work with uh, civic engagement work that you did with your kids in LA. Um, before we get to that, though, real quick, um, one of the ways that connected learning is being introduced to people is to say it builds on the education basics. So that phrase, those three R's of reading, mm -hmm. writing, arithmetic, and you know, don't get me started on the spelling of that. <laughs> but by introducing this fourth R that we can think of, of relevance, so making learning in the classroom actually relevant to life outside of it, um, why do you think this need for relevance is so important to today's students? I, I think relevance, it's, it's not just important for, for today's students. I think it's, it's one of those things that we tend to forget when we think about how we prepare students for tests, how we prepare students for you know having a high gpa the thing that gets left out of this is that relevance piece oftentimes right not necessarily all the time um and, and i think and and this goes back to you know principles of john dewey and, and you know founding um progressive education models mm -hmm. uh, but i do think that the reason relevance is most important is because it allows young people to see why they're engaging in what they're doing and how, how they're going to transform the world around them 
as a result of what they engage in. So just as an example, going to Los Angeles, because maybe this will transition us there. A friend of mine, Travis uh, Miller, who, who always taught ninth graders that eventually became my students, um, was teaching the Holocaust Memoir Night to his students. Um, and as a, as a thinking exercise, we're teaching in South Central where we didn't have any white students in our classroom. Um, he said, imagine all of the, all of the um, people in Los Angeles of European descent um, are, are shipped away tomorrow, right? Just to give them a thinking exercise about, you know, the, the principles of the Holocaust in, in uh, the book night. Um, and, and the students' immediate responses were, um, they were varied, but they generally came down to the sense of, if all of the white people in Los Angeles are gone, who's going to uh, invent things? Who's going to dole out medicine and be doctors, right? And we can think about, you know, how relevancy and how connections to um, science fields has been disintegrated in inner city communities um, just over time, over the kinds of vocabulary, over the way media portrays different types of incidents. Mm -hmm. um, and because of that, I think it's it's terrifying and it, it makes us really reflect why relevance is such an important factor in how we teach, regardless of what kind of technologies we're using, right? This is just with books and, and looking at, you know, students' own lived assumptions of the world around them. Right. You know, and this transition is perfectly so. Thanks for that setup. Uh, I know one of the things I loved hearing about from your time as a teacher in LA was the way you connected classroom learning specifically to uh, civic engagement. And you're doing some really cool things with citizen science. So I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more uh, about the Black Cloud game and then kind of dovetailing out of that. Why do you think it's important? that young people who are, you know, under 18, you know, under the quote unquote voting age are encouraged to be civic actors, you know, right here and now? Yeah, so the Black Cloud Game was a project uh, I did in collaboration with a professor at UC Berkeley named Greg Niemeyer. Um, and, and it's essentially an alternate reality game where students were telling a fictitious story about this cloud of pollution that was talking to them. And in doing so, they were taking, so that was the, the fictitious part, but in doing so, they were, they were essentially collecting air quality data from their school and from buildings around their school and in their, in their physical community, their nearby community. Um, and in doing so, students were really able to take up and investigate, you know, what causes pollution in, in their spaces and how do they do something about it, right? Because, um, the, my first period class of seniors, because there was nearly 40 people in that room, the most polluted classroom or the most polluted space they found in South Central Los Angeles was their own classroom, just because of the ways we generate carbon dioxide, um, uh, carbon monoxide, sorry, um, carbon dioxide. Sorry, I'm not a scientist. <laughs> <laughs> this is not a good sign. Um, however, what, what it ultimately came down to is a way to engage in science and a way to engage civically with your space around you. Um, that civic education doesn't mean voting and it doesn't mean knowing who the past few presidents are. That's helpful, right? But I think there's an assumption that civic education has to happen um, in that one 12th grade class that you take for one semester right before you graduate, right? And to me, that that's not what civic education should be about, right? I think it's really about how do you get young people to think about the world around them and how they're going to engage in it, right? At, at, at the end of the day, I believe that um, as an English language arts teacher and as someone who prepares English language arts teachers to, today, um, that civic education is the goal of what we should be doing in those classroom spaces. Um, and so I guess that's I guess that's where I would want people to think about is regardless of what field you're teaching um, or how you work with young people, how are you preparing them for 
a life of prolonged civic engagement. That's not just about voting. That's not just about donating blood or um, donating cans and recycling once in a while, right? But at the root of you know what's what's fair, what's equal, what's equitable, um, and being able to being able to challenge and think through those types of things. That's definitely a good call to action, and I I know I would love to see that happening more in K twelve spaces today. And, you know, time flies. I mean, we're already kind of coming to the end of our conversation with you, Antero, but I wanted to see if there is any particular, you know, event, project, or publication of yours that you'd like to tell people about. Yeah, there's uh, two things I'd like to tell people about. Um, one, I, slightly related to connected learning, um, I, I had a book come out last year um, related to young adult literature. It's called Critical Foundations in Young Adult Literature that really looks at um, looks critically at what's happening with the genre of books that the the students that I worked with um, are engaged with, right? So books like The Hunger Games, books like, uh, which I think is a, an important civic text, books like Harry Potter, the Divergent series, that's now a movie. Mm -hmm. uh, I think I think these are important spaces that teach powerful lessons for young people. Um, and thinking about it from a critical uh, connected learning perspective, I think it'd be useful for other people to consider. There are things much nerdier, but I just want to point it out because I, I think it's an interesting <laughs> space. Oftentimes I think connected learning is um, all of this fancy digital stuff. And my current research space is uh, tabletop role-playing games. So think role, think nerds rolling dice and playing Dungeons and Dragons. Um, and I'm currently doing ethnographic work uh, in that space, thinking about how do we collectively tell stories and learn from one another um, when you sit around with pretzels and sugary drinks and, <laughs> and stay up past your bedtime. So that's uh, that's my current space of investigating connected learning. That is awesome. And we will always embrace the uh, nerdiness and geekiness. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, John. Thanks so much for chatting about connected learning with us and Taro. Yeah, no, not a problem. It's a pleasure. Thanks for joining us here at the Connected Learning Alliance. If you missed any of this conversation or want to listen to more discussions, check out our website at clalliance.org or subscribe to our podcast channel on iTunes. See you back here for more talks with change makers and thought leaders who are building the next generation of learning.